Today, we break down how formulaic storytelling can still be inventive. Curse you, Chris the Dramaturg! Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation and storytelling and animation and storytelling and animation. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm Chris Leva. Today we're talking about, um, again, no judgment, formulaic storytelling um, (laughs) and how a show that uses a very specific structure that has a lot of expectations for each episode or how a character behaves. How do those shows still be inventive and make great moments land? Um, So instead of something, what's a good example of a show that's formulaic that doesn't do anything with that? Um, I don't know. Um, I try to think of like a, like Paw Patrol maybe. I haven't seen much Paw Patrol, but I assume Paw Patrol would be like, puppies go on adventure. And then things happen. I think, you know, um, the worst of Scooby-Doo does that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Worst of Scooby-Doo, that's a great point. Bad Scooby-Doo. G.I. Joe from the 80s. Yeah. Like, here are the things you have to hit every episode. And they're easy to make fun of because everyone knows what happens every episode. Um, But what happens when a show does that and does it well? (laughs) Oh, good. There wasn't even a question mark on that. And does it well? (laughs) No, we we could say a a show that does it well. Very nice. So when, when we started thinking about this topic, talking about structure and versus formula um dawn of justice or dawn of dramaturgy ah missed it um (laughs) structure versus formula colon dawn of dramaturgy (laughs) so is that um, our book is that the book we're writing i i guess it must be it must be that might be the book (laughs) we we made it 114 episodes and we finally figured out what our book is going to be called uh (laughs) But when you're looking at structure, a lot of people think of structure and conflate it with formula. And I think when you lose your balance, that formula can lead you to the dark side of storytelling. But, but people conflate it and equate it with structure. Some, you know... It, and it's it's not the structure that goes bad. It's formula. I'm so confused mm-hmm. right now. I've confused myself and I'm lost. But because I didn't have structure to that sentence. See? Do you understand the point we're trying to make? Formula leads to repetition. Repetition leads to bad writing. Bad writing leads to cancellation. <laughs> Thank you. But... So let's let's take a look at what structure is in general, and then we will talk about two shows that play with their structures slash formulas um, 
in good ways. So we're going to be looking at Phineas and Ferb, and we're going to be looking at Agretsuko, which I hadn't heard about, although Netflix tried to make me watch. Netflix is really pushing Agretsuko right now. Yeah, they were they were saying I had a 91% match to watch it. Okay, when's the last time you saw something on Netflix that you didn't have more than a 90% match for? Everything, it's like a scale of 90 to 100% match. There's nothing <laughs> lower than a 90. I feel like there's something that I found one time that's like, uh, you're not going to like this one. Please don't watch it. <laughs> um, and Okay, well, Chris, tell us about structure. All right, so a... I wish I could remember which playwright told me this. <laughs> a playwright randomly once told me um, that structure isn't for you as a writer. Structure is for the audience. So if a lot of, I think there was this big conversation that we were having uh, in our group of playwrights about structure. And someone just said, you know, structure is boring structure you know it becomes formulaic people can see what you're doing they see the mechanism it turns it into a machine and they're like well structure isn't for you as a writer to try to put your story together it's for the audience to give them a way to experience it so maybe it was Nicholas Meyer maybe it wasn't a playwright maybe it was Nicholas Meyer who directed um Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan. Maybe he's the one who said it. When us. did you meet Nicholas Meyer, the director of Star Trek Two: Wrath of Khan? Um, in grad school, he was he was oh, in, okay. he he was a visiting artist, and nobody had watched anything other than Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> um, so that's how we identify Nicholas Meyer. Okay, but he did he did a he he did some other really cool stuff, um, which I enjoy. There was one with. Um, H.G. Wells and Jack the Ripper, which was really cool. Um, really interesting story. Um, where he, Jack the Ripper, goes back to the 70s and is like, look, this is where I believe, you know, this is where I belong. Look at these people. They've totally lost their minds. I can kill people here and no one will bat an eye. I'll become a celebrity. Like, this is where, I, this is a corrupt, disgusting society. Anyway. Jack the Ripper goes back in time to the Sorry, 1970s? Sorry, he goes forward in time to the 1970s. Oh, okay. Right. And I, I guess two years ago, they redid it as a TV show on Fox or ABC or something. Oh, yeah. I heard about this. Yeah. Ripper yeah. or something. It was the same it's thing. Fox it's it's the same thing. But he came to today, which is saying something about today. Like, look at us. And it was like the whole... The plot of the pilot was anyway. We were getting off track, so structure. <laughs> structure. <laughs> See, structure. To a podcast. <laughs> the structure is there for your audience to follow through. So, for the example of with our podcast, we have our structure of we say um, something silly. We do the theme drums. We say hello. We talk about what we're going to talk about, and then we have this general overview, and then we give our examples, and then we say goodbye. So you know when we're about to say goodbye, when we talk about our favorite things. So that's our cue to everybody, and 
hopefully if it's a good episode, everyone goes, oh, already? Because you know that that's the final thing that we do. And we've taught you that. You've learned it through the structure of our show. And you know that what's coming up next is our thank yous, our social media stuff, and then good night, everybody. Like, we've taught you that. That's how you listen to our show in our structure. It's for you, our audience. So with that, the structure creates audience expectations. So you start to expect that certain things happen at certain times with certain characters, with certain people, um, with certain phrases at times. So it could be catchphrase is going to happen at this point, and that's your cue into something. Right? Okay. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Structure is... What is structure? <sighs> I don't know. Structure is... And people say it's the bones, blah, 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 blah. That's a boring metaphor. Yeah, it um, is. It's... It's like the the map they give you in the Amazing Race. The map doesn't make the race amazing, but the map helps you get from end to end. No, I'm making things up. I, no, no, I think you're fine. I was, <laughs> I was reading something that I had tried to write about um, structure. Um, so if you imagine Dorothy, right, uh, for from Wizard of Oz. And she goes along the yellow brick road. You, you may not, you may know as the creator where you're headed. And it's like that, that path that you set the audience on. But you can wind it around in different unexpected ways. So some people, I hate the bones. I hate the, it's some, I hate the scaffolding metaphor that doesn't feel right even the road metaphor that i'm making right now isn't perfect it's just you're you're teaching the audience how to watch what the story you're telling is it's it's you're giving them everything they need to be able to consume your story and be fulfilled by it hmm. mm-hmm just yeah, so, no, that makes sense. It's how do you, like, what expectation do you want an audience member to have going into the third act of your episode, and how is that going to pay off? Like, what are they going to feel at the end when the show's over? Right. Do you want them to expect the heroes to win, and then the heroes win? Do you want them to expect the heroes win, and then the heroes fail? Do you want them to expect the heroes win as a cliffhanger because nobody wins? Do you want them just to, you know binge watch the next episode <laughs> you know what 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 is the desire for the audience at the end of it what should they be feeling what should they be doing and it's if you are as a writer unaware of what you are doing for the audience it becomes a little bit less interesting if you aren't considering your audience as you write, I think it, it becomes less interesting on a whole. Yeah. Because in the end, you are writing something to be consumed 
by somebody else, if you feel like I'm just writing this to express myself, I'm just writing it to get some stuff out. And if some people like it, that's great. If some people hate it, that's whatever. It's me expressing myself. I don't feel like that's dramatic writing. That's, that's writing. Off, 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 off Broadway play in Brooklyn. <laughs> that's what that is. Yeah. Like all the nightmares that I have. Um, and I think the something else that's key to our conversation today is that there's each individual thing has a structure that can be different. If you're writing an episode, you can put structure in an episode to make you feel something. And then if you're doing a show, what's the structure for the show or how every episode works? Because, mm. like, of course, each story has a structure and how you get from thing to thing. It's like telling a joke. Um, the This is a good example structure. People just kind of generally know, like, a joke can be told three times before it stops being funny. Generally, you can break that, you can twist it, you can make it longer or shorter, more or less, um, but generally a joke will have three levels to it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Okay, great. <laughs> That's the structure of a joke. And if you establish, mm, I don't know, um, jumping ahead a little bit in the case of Phineas and Ferb if every episode they're going to say what's the thing that I noticed if every episode Ferb has one line <laughs> there's always the expectation of what's the one line that Ferb says this episode it's it's less of a joke or storytelling thing and more of like here's the thing that you're expecting as an audience in mm -hmm. the case of what we're talking about today and how they do that so part of doing that is I mean, TV shows have a little bit of a cha difference from something like a play because usually a play is a one-off thing. You don't usually have sequels or second episodes. Um, it, it, the structure of it is the thing itself and you're just creating the structure for that particular thing. Um, very rarely are you doing 26 plays to be shown to an audience each week. That doesn't happen very often. I think it could. I think that'd be interesting. Um, I'd be really into that. It's like SNL, but like with drama. Yeah, yeah. Riverdale, Night Live. <laughs> um, but part of what TV gets is the opportunity to have repetition. So the, uh, you're teaching the audience how things work because they can see it, um, I, I say, quote, week after week, because everyone just binges everything now. So, you know, episode by episode, you can see, oh, I get it. You start to see the structure. You start to see it. And we think about sitcoms, you know, sitcom repetition of catchphrases like, hey, Norm from Cheers, or hello, Newman from Seinfeld, or something that's a little bit closer to our viewership, listenership. Good news, everyone. Or uh, Star Wars, I have a bad feeling about this. You expect that to happen. So when in Solo, Han Solo says, I have a good feeling about this. You're like, oh, ha ha, ha 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 ha, ha. It changed. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is that exact number of laughs in that cadence. Every <laughs> single person experienced in the world. So you do get that that repetition of something that you're expecting it because you've heard it so many times. I know how this works. I know what's going to go. So you're waiting for that to pay off. And then sticking with our Star Wars example briefly about structure, when you don't have something you expect, as an author, you have to understand like what that means to an audience when they don't get it. For example, Last Jedi doesn't have an I have a bad feeling about this. Yes, it does, though. Oh, does it? It does. JK, I lied. It's in the, I lied. It's, it's a joke. It's in the beginning, um, it's BB-8. BB-8 says it? BB-8 says it, and Poe Dameron's like, no, no, don't worry, it's going to work out. Oh, okay. I missed that then. Fine. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> that's But that. the, the point stands, if you're doing something different, innovative, on something that has a structure, and I'm not saying The Last Jedi... Careful. I like The Last Jedi. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> I don't love it. I like it. Careful. Um, but it does not have some of the things that you'd expect out of a Star Wars thing, which is the point. That's the point of it. Okay, so audience expectation, repetition, <laughs> and becoming a formula. And I think when people say formula as a derogative term um, and call something formulaic, it's that we see what you're doing and there's nothing interesting that you're doing with it. Which we get back to the bad version of Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. It's like, I see exactly what you're doing. I know that guy's going to be the guy behind the mask. I know, you know, you, you get it. Like, I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids and your dog. Like, we know where we're going. And there's nothing interesting. It's just going through the motions of it without adding anything character-wise or fun-wise or joke-wise or anything inventive about it. You start to just see the inventiveness. So if you go with the metaphor of structure as bones, that's all you see. You just see mangled bones just walking around, maybe slight bits of skin, but it's just not fun to watch. Ugh. Or you see the road and there are no twists and turns. So imagine if... Wizard of Oz, you're on the yellow brick road and it's like, oh, there's the Emerald City. All I have to do is walk that way 10 feet. Perfect. I made it. Woo. End of structure. End of <laughs> Roll credits. You know, it's there's something not interesting. You didn't take us on any turns. You didn't show us anything interesting. You didn't give us any drama. It's like, I think the challenge that many new writers have to go through, and I think it's a very hard thing to learn as a writer, is how uninteresting it is when none of your characters lie. Hmm. Like, who... How do you get characters who don't tell the truth or bend the truth to make things more interesting so you can keep track of who knows what at any given time? Because when you just have characters who always tell the truth and are experiencing the story together, that's less interesting than when at least one character is lying or doing something different. Yeah, you're you're keeping something from the group and which it creates tension 
in the drama, tension between the characters. If you can create, and I hate to say conflict because it's not just all about conflict. I feel like it's character growth and character transformation. And sometimes that does happen through characters in conflict with something, maybe not each other, mm-hmm. but it's about characters trying to get something and something being in their way. Yeah, and structure so, helps pay that off. And if we look at, you know, something like um, Doc McStuffins, which we're not talking about, but also has a very structured, formulaic, not in a bad way, Chris, nee. um, you know, <laughs> you know, we love you and your work. So, but we know that there's a structure there. You know that you're going to have two songs. Um, you're either going to get the I Feel Better song or you're going to get the, I'm, I'm talking like seasons one through three now because it, the structure is different now that they're at the toy hospital. But um, you're either going to get the I Feel Better song or the Time for Your Checkup song. And if you don't have one, you're going to have a song either about how someone's sick or what they've learned about themselves. So you're going to get like two very specific songs at very specific points. But those characters do either lie about something or feel fear about something. They don't admit something. They say something that's not true about what they're experiencing. And then they realize, no, I should have just told you what was going on. The bad version of that is something like Friends, where you see somebody say a lie that's just dumb and out of the character. Yeah. And then everyone believes it. And everyone believes it, and it just spirals out of control. And now, like, you have to pretend to be my boss. I haven't seen enough friends, clearly. Well, I, that was a Seinfeld plot that I stole. But <laughs> to put it in a friends to put it in a friends episode, I can imagine the friends episode about that. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's so formulaic. It's so like random plot. Oh, this is the plot where this person says this lie. Oh, they told that person that they would go on a date with them, and now they have created a lie where they can't go on a date and now that person has to follow all the logical things to make sure they don't go on a date oh but the lie keeps getting bigger and it's just dumb so there's the dumb lie and there's the character based lie with that character trying to accomplish something and not the writer trying to make a character go through something it's a character actually trying to do something (laughs) so what what do we does does that all make sense, audience? Is everyone tracking? Is everyone there with us? Yeah, Chris. Awesome. Sure That's... does. <laughs> you make some valid points. Thanks, Mickey. You're welcome. So, what should we talk about first? Now that we've talked about the general idea of structure and audience expectation and formula and repetition, where do we go from here? Well, we've chosen two shows that I think have different structural things that they do, and we didn't give the audience specific episodes to watch because they're so structured you could watch any of them in theory. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> doesn't even matter. Uh, and you'll get the point of what we're talking about today. So let's start with... Um, Phineas and Ferb, which is more plot structure. Yes. If that's how I want to call it. Plot structure. Um, So in Phineas and Ferb, we have two brothers on summer vacation who get in all kinds of trouble and their sister who likes to tattle on them. And they have a pet platypus who's secretly a secret agent trying to 
defeat the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz. And that's not even any of the structure yet. That's just, like, the premise of the show. <laughs> so, in each episode, you're going to hit a number of plot points that tend to happen again and again and again in each episode. And they're often done differently. It, it, yes. Yes and no. There are some ones that, some episodes that just follow it. I don't want to say blindly, but... Th- you know, you know, you're, it's just going to be an ordinary Phineas and Ferb episode that just tracks the plot. And then there's going to be your one, like later in the season, that's going to just do something wild with the structure and subvert your expectation of something because they want to advance something. But so what are some of the things that we hit almost every episode? I already mentioned one earlier. Ferb has one line. Yes. Um, if, if we look at the structure of it, and you can go watch Phineas and Ferb and track it. There are two episodes. There are two stories in each episode. So you end up with like 40-some stories a season. Okay, so if you go by... It's, it's really crafty. It's really cool, their structure. Um, mm-hmm. I think it took the second time I've seen it where I was like, oh, this is every time they do that, it's this. So then you're waiting for it. So you have the A story. Every A story, for the most part, is Phidias and Ferb have an idea of something they want to create or some adventure they want to go on. Their sister Candace tries to bust them and catch them in the act and tattletale on them so her mom can get them, they can be in trouble. That's the A story. Um, the B story is, can, do you want to explain the B story? I don't know if one can. So the B story, at some point, um, Phineas and Ferb and their family are talking, go, where's Perry? And the platypus is gone. And it cuts to Perry the platypus putting on his secret agent hat and going to get a mission from Mission Control about what the evil Dr. Doofenshmirtz is up to. And then they have a couple, I can't remember all the catchphrases they have to go through, but he has <laughs> Doofenshmirtz off as some kind of like machine or something that he's building. Um, and there's, there's like a Doofenshmirtz says something to Perry when he arrives, and there's when he loses, there's a curse you, Perry the platypus. Yes. Yeah, and, um, and the episode finishes when the sister Candace is dangerously close to actually busting Phineas and Ferb. There's something that seems completely impossible of getting rid of. There's no possible way they can get rid of what they've built, whether it be a giant robotic Perry or a what was it, a roller coaster or anything that they've built that there's no possible way they could get rid of it in time. They're going to get caught. The B story collides with the A story. So whatever, however, Perry is defeating Dr. Doofenshmirtz collides with what Phineas and Ferb are creating. And it wipes away all evidence of the A story, making Candace fail at busting Phineas and Ferb and, Perry comes back. Oh, there you are, Perry. An example of them using this exact same structure but doing something differently. I watched the season one finale, Hail Dufania, where it's essentially the opposite of Dr. Doofenshmirtz's daughter is trying to tell 
her mom, Doofenshmirtz's ex-wife, I think, um, yes. that he's an evil genius that is up to no good, and he builds an entire evil city off the coast, and then Phineas and Ferb invent something that winds up destroying the city before Doofenshmirtz's <laughs> ex-wife can see it. <laughs> And Chris is laughing. So see, it's structure, but it's a twist on that structure. They make you expect things and then subvert those expectations. Because you're along for the ride. You know exactly what's going on. You're in on it. They they bring the audience completely in on it. They're not trying to hide what they're doing. Like, hey, we flipped the episode. <laughs> we flipped it. And they give you several clues that they've done it that way. And I remember that I, I'm laughing also because I remember that episode and I remember just how um, I was giddy like, oh, this is, I see what's happening. <laughs> I see what's happening. But did you watch other episodes? Yeah, I watched a few. Um, I was doing it late at night, so I, I've slept through half of the episodes <laughs> that I tried to watch. Uh, that's not a judgment on the show. That's just I was watching it late at night. Um <laughs> I don't remember everything I've seen. I saw the one where they have to get the the 80s hair rock band back together. Oh, sure. Yeah, which essentially the structure subversion there is that they don't get rid of the thing at the end of the episode because they're trying to like help mom and dad have a great anniversary. And so mom comes home to this giant love handle reunion concert in her front yard. And it's the most romantic anniversary she's ever had. <laughs> Yeah, there's. I, I just feel like they they do it so well, and it's it's different because uh, I'm gonna have to use air quotes on this. It's a kids show, <laughs> but I feel like kids shows allow the structure to be there more than some adult shows. You know, because you you're trying to appeal to to kids who may not be able to grasp things and their complexity so you're trying to i'm not saying to dumb it down but i'm trying to say you're you're reaching out to them and hitting them on their level in terms of this is what we're doing and we're going to use these specific catchphrases we're going to use where's perry to cut to the next thing we're going to cut the curse you Perry the platypus, we're going to, you know, you guys are so busted this time. You know, we're we're giving you special clues like that each time. But we're also going to give you really spectacularly silly things that Phineas and Ferb are going to be up to. Like, that's part of it is what are they going to do? There's also an episode um, later on because the, the theme song says... Is it a, there's 104 days of summer vacation. Yeah. Um, in a later season, they make a reference to that, to how many days it's been, that it's actually been like 140 days. And because of how many episodes there have been, they actually make reference to, oh, wait, actually, it's been a lot more than 104 days or, you know, this summer's felt really long. You know, like they made a, a reference to the, the 104 days of summer vacation. So they're not afraid to call out exactly what's going on and call out your expectation. 
Yeah. So, and this was the first time you'd seen any Phineas and Ferb. Yeah, I'd never seen any Phineas and Ferb before now, which um, I am a fan of Milo Murphy's Law, which is their new show, um, which is now getting more Phineas and Ferb lore involved lately. (laughs) (laughs) But we've talked about Milo Murphy's Law before, and it is similar uh, structure to it. It is... It does a lot of the same things with its structure, but it's different structural points. There's a go home, D.O.G., he says to the dog at some point in every episode. And there's some kind of time travelers protecting pistachios in every episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as that show goes on, they're getting further and further away from the actual structure as a character's question. Like, but why are we protecting pistachios? It's not like a one episode throwaway. It's like they're now like on a different trajectory. I, I remember when this and this goes to say something for the show. Um, you don't have to watch Phineas and Ferb in order. You no. don't. Um, <laughs> what I would recommend if you have never watched any Phineas and Ferb, I would say watch the very first episode and then skip around. And the reason why I say watch the very first episode is you learn the you learn the pattern. You learn the template. So <laughs> okay, this is gonna be really bad. So if you look at somebody like Andy Warhol, right? <laughs> We're comparing Phineas and Ferb to Andy wait, Warhol. Wait, wait for it. <laughs> So if you, if you look at the work of Andy Warhol, you have to understand what a can of Campbell's tomato soup looks like before you can extrapolate on it and make changes. So look, watch the first episode of Phineas and Ferb to understand the can of tomato soup. And then you can see all the ways that it's played with and check it out this one's big this one's small this one's colored this one's other stuff that andy warhol does the reinvention and transformation of the original structured thing not a terrible metaphor but not the best one you made it it worked (laughs) i got what you're going for okay well that's that that was the point that was that's the point good so any anything else you would like to say about phineas and ferb having experienced it for the first time in terms of structure or anything no no it does really good subverting your expectations of the plot structure and i think it really is like in terms of our discussion today it's a plot structure show um whereas agratsuko is character structure Mm. way to go good segue let's talk about let's talk about that so smooth (laughs) Like creamy peanut butter. That was like a John August level of segue. That was really nice. Aw, can you tag me and John August and tweet and compliment me? No, because I don't want him to be angry with me. I want him to like... Why would he be angry at you? I don't know. I I pay the man so much money. (laughs) Exactly. I haven't paid him any money yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I even bought his new card game, Alpha Birds. I need to start following John That game is fun. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, back to your Agretsuko. beautiful segue. Agretsuko and the beautiful segue. 
part two. Um, if you're not familiar with Agaratsuko, um, Agaratsuko is one of the um, more recent Sanrio characters. Sanrio gave us Hello Kitty. And Hello, everyone in the world is familiar Kitty. Sorry. Everyone in the world is familiar with the idea of Hello Kitty and like the Sunshine of Rainbow. It's the Lisa Frank of Japan. That's <laughs> uh, what it is. Um, and Agaratsuko is a show about a um, red panda named Retsuko in the um, Sanrio style. And she's like this happy, like, do 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 25-year-old single girl. Yeah, Japan. Woo! But the secret is it's transforming the innocence of Hello Kitty into, like, an actual modern young adult life. <laughs> so what happens if you take, essentially, the rainbow in color of Hello Kitty and put it in a Tokyo office uh, where this girl hates her life and her boss and everything about it. And secretly, she's not the sunshine happy girl that she projects in her office, but she goes to secret karaoke holes in the wall and sings like death metal and screams <laughs> and gets her claws out. The rage. Rage! <laughs> um... So, because I don't think we've said it this episode yet, Agaratsuko is animated, but is not family-friendly necessarily. So, before you go much further and you pause and think, I'm going to go watch it with my kids. Um, it's not crazy adult, but has some bad language and some consumption of alcohol. So, there. It's been said. Um, and Sanrio, I think that I call this character structure because like each character has like the thing that they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of how they build the story every time. And it's how those characters overlap and what they do. Um, and they all have like very broad archetypes. And so you have Retsuko, the projecting a sunshiny outlook, but secretly like hates everything character. And then you have the other girls that she works with in her office. Um, the Fennec Fox girl who is just very... Bland and data oriented. Fenico, yes. And then the little deer who's like everything you hate out of like a sycophantic girl office person. <laughs> oh, director, that's so strong. How'd you do that? Um, and give some other crazy office friends. There's their um, Retsuko's friend, Haida, the hyena, who just doesn't care about anything. Um, Director Ton, who's a literal pig and metaphorical chauvinistic pig. Yes. <laughs> um, the meerkat toady that he has. Um, yeah, this is really interesting characters that they play with. And it's who they have in each episode and what they're trying to do does different things. Um, I don't know. Chris, did you watch? How much of this did you watch? Um, there are 10 episodes on Netflix. I got through eight of them. Wow, that was fast. Well, each episode is only 15 minutes. Yeah. So you it goes very quickly. And um, in true Netflix style, uh, in most shows created for Netflix, they leave you on a little bit of a cliffhanger-ish. Um, I, I call them cliffhangers. Um <laughs> I, because some of them are uh, some of them are really what am I trying to say are plot cliffhangers and some of them are character cliffhangers 
and the plot cliffhangers are the ones that are like, well, um, the next one's going to start in seven seconds anyway, because <laughs> uh, the remote's all the way over there, and I won't be able to pick it up in seven seconds to stop it, so I might as well just watch it. Um, so that's that's why I watched um, eight of eight of them. I have two more to go. Eight of the ten. Yeah. So, and it wasn't until about episode three or four that I understood what I was watching. Um, I, I understood the plot, but I think, as you were saying, because the structure lies in character, you really don't meet all the characters and what they do until around episode three or four. You don't really understand all the dynamics that it's playing with until about then. And mm-hmm. episode five, I believe, which is... What's going on? Oh, yeah, they go... The two friends, Gori and Washimi, who are these um, power women, the gorilla and the... She a cockatiel, I suppose? So She's some kind of bird. Yeah, yeah they're the more powerful... Eaglet? I don't know. They're the more powerful women um, that... Retsuko is trying to emulate and they go to her secret spot and it's the first time that somebody else experiences her in her rage and you know infiltrates her as I say sacred space and see her scream death metal and are actually interested in it so like five is where it starts to transform but four they've really just start setting everything up in, in a weird way, which makes sense. I mean, five is the halfway point. So if you look at the overarching structure of everything, it makes sense that the fifth one would be where something is revealed. And one thing that I like about um, Gori and Washimi is like leading up to the that secret moment. They're the only two characters I think that we see as an audience who are different than how Retsuko sees them. Like, mm-hmm. she'll pass them going down the hallway. She thinks they're so fabulous and wonderful. They turn a corner and they say something completely comedic and bathos. Like, oh, these shoes are killing me. Oh, man. Um, whereas Retsuko is really trying to project just one thing. She's not allowing herself to be a complex character <laughs> in her own life. And they're also designed differently than all the other women characters that we've met. Um, they're not the typical... Um, Hello Kitty styled characters. They are tall. <laughs> they have long legs. They look like um, adult women as opposed to Retsuko who looks a little bit more like a young girl. You know, in, mm-hmm. more, more in the Hello Kitty vein. So there is that interesting expectation where they talk about their power walk and like, I know this looks good, but it's terrible on my feet or whatever they say. <laughs> like, yeah, this, this hurts. But you're, you're right about the character archetypes. That's, you are tracking character and character action. Yeah. Cause they are all, it's, it's, Sanrio's Japanese Commedia dell'arte. It's here's who this person is. 
And I think the best parts of Agratsuko as a show are when a character does something different than their archetype. I think the first one you see early on, besides Retsuko, obviously, is the the little gazelle person girl, sycophantic girl, Sonoda. Yes. Um, and then I like, go out to dinner, Retsuko at her, and Retsuko says, are you... And Sonoda says, like, do you think I'm always sucking up to them? And Retsuko gets like, no, no, I wasn't trying to apply that. And Sonoda says, well, I am, because it makes life easier. <laughs> right. And she's just completely honest about what she's doing and why she does it. And there, I guess that's a little bit refreshing in a show that these characters know which archetypes they're playing um, and knowing who they have to be. And I think there's especially one, which is an episode seven. Yes, it's episode seven where the chauvinistic pig tone um, starts acting nice to everybody because the CEO <laughs> of the company um, has come down on him and said, stop treating the women so poorly. Mm-hmm. And so he starts being really nice. And everyone in the, in the office has is, is freaked out by it. So they all lose... Which is interesting. They all lose their characteristics. They can't be who they are if they don't have a chauvinistic bad boss. Like, that's who he is. He is the terrible... Um, I know that Retsukuka uses different language, but he is, <laughs> he is a terrible boss. And she tells him in no uncertain terms and expresses that um, in their duel. And I don't want to give specific spoilers about the end of the show because you haven't seen it. But whereas in that episode, the boss is faking being different than who he is. There is a moment in the final episode where he does something unexpected that is different in an honest way. Hmm. Uh, and that, I think, is like the heart of the show. Like, that's why I thought of Agatsuko for our structure conversation. Because it's same, same, same faking, but same, same, same something that is in his character, the final episode, something that's in his character, but not in the way his character does things. Now, saying this about characters, so we looked at plot structure, but look at it, character structure. I, th- what can we say about archetypes versus stereotypes versus characters that we should have in, you know, the things that we're creating? What can you can you say something about that? Tell me more about that. I don't think I quite get it yet. Okay, okay. So you type versus stereotype. Right. Do you have an idea about that? So you're talking about characters who have a specific structure they repeat again and again that's based off of character choices and desires and fears, not based off of stereotypes about what that character may be based on their look. Or things they can't control? Yes. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's interesting when an archetype exists. It's not interesting when a stereotype exists. Because an archetype is original. It's specific to that single character. Whereas Hmm. a stereotype is supposed to be... Again, I'm using words here. Supposed to be a generalization and not specific to a single character. It's supposed to be 
applying to every person that meets those same criteria, which is not interesting or correct. Yes. I, I, th I think the way you, you distinguished them was more eloquent than I would have <laughs> uh, about archetype versus stereotype. Um, but well, well done. Thank you. So when we look at that, I know that people say, stay away from stereotype. Um, and I think some people fear getting involved with um, archetypes because, again, structure and formula um, merging to being conflated as one and archetype and stereotype being conflated. Um, I, they're not the same. And I think the reason why we get scared of archetypes is we don't want to create something that's inorganic. Mm -hmm. And if we think about creating an archetype, it's something that's not reality-based. It's not organic. It's, it's something that's derivative from something else. It's, it's not good <laughs> character creation. So an example of this, of what you're saying, Chris, I think without, I think we can create a character right now um, off literally like we're making this up. It's not in our notes right now. Um, Chris is looking at me with like a deer in headlights look um, without getting into even stereotype based on um, any physical characteristics. Like here's a stereotypical archetype um, that isn't interesting. There's. Uh, a detective with a chip on his shoulder just has something to prove until a nice girl walks in his door. That's not interesting. <laughs> right. What, what is interesting um, would be a detective who feels isolated from everyone else in their life because they have a special power. Um, and that special power leads them to want to do something good for the world, but also like not feel a part of the world. That's Jessica Jones, and that's interesting. <laughs> Mm. Or there's a detective with a chip on his shoulder because the thing that he once loved betrayed him and killed his brother. And that's Eddie Valiant, which is really interesting. I haven't seen Eddie Valiant. In Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, okay, there we go. Yes. Yes, there's a difference between just taking like the most generalized version of archetype and just reusing that exact you're taking a character's once in a bad archetype without taking the character's specifics whereas if you build the reverse you have your character specifics that evolve into your archetypal once and I think it's if we go back to Scooby-Doo so if we take if we take from Scooby-Doo which we had a plot structure but also the character structure of Scooby-Doo we can take the archetypes that they've created. Here's the the handsome blonde guy. We have the really smart girl with glasses. We have the dumb coward. We have the dumb coward's dog. And we have the beautiful girl who who's not solving anything. Like it's built on those character archetypes but the more interesting scooby-doos 
Like the one we talked about Scooby-Doo way back, way, way, way back. The Scooby-Doo universe. The Scooby-Doo universe. Um, the more interesting Scooby-Doo's are the ones that play with those characters as if they were fully realized characters, knowing also that there, that there are certain expectations about their characters as they're created as archetypes, but subverting or paying off those in different ways. So knowing that there is an audience expectation for Daphne, knowing that there is an audience expectation for Freddy. So they, they've become, because they've existed for so long, they become their own archetypes. It's a good way of putting it. And you stole my favorite thing to do that. Did I? I didn't have a specific favorite thing. It was just when characters do something unexpected but in character. <laughs> Did you have a, you didn't have a specific example from Agretsuko or Phineas and Ferb? Um, man, okay. Um, with my generalized one, I'm going to go on, I'm going to go with, ah, I also said the director Tan end of Agretsuko thing without getting specific. Um, <laughs> Phineas and Ferb, I liked the, the thing they subverted in plot was, um, Perry the Platypus getting a cone on his head because he gets scratched up in a previous fight and so he can't show up to foil the plot because <laughs> he can't fit through the door to a secret hideout with a cone on. Is that the one where they got other animal agents to go? No, I haven't seen that one, but that sounds equally interesting. That one is really funny. I forget there's like somebody, the panda, who's this really cute panda. <laughs> Yes. Oh, uh, and he just is like, "What are you doing here? Like, who are you?" <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> yes. It's like Pete the Petey the Panda or something like that. I I can't remember <laughs> the name, but I was just like, "What is happening here?" I'll 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 let you know which one it was because okay, because Rochelle and I were were laughing a lot, um, and we were also laughing a lot at Akritsuko. Um, what was really funny about watching it, so I got through episode one through three by myself, and then she walked in, um, and she's like, what are you watching? Like, what, what is this? And then at the end of the episode that she watched with me, she's, she said, I don't know what this is or what's going on, but I need to watch more to find out what happens to her. Like, I need to know what happens to her. And what was really funny was I was as she was saying that I'm like yeah that's what I've been thinking this whole time which is I don't know exactly what I'm watching I don't know quite what's going on character wise plot wise like I'm I'm tracking it I know what's going on I don't know what it is I don't know if I like it but I have to know what happens to her like I have to know what happens to her because you know, it was interesting to see this character. And I still I still have two episodes and I'm still going to watch them. Um, you should. I don't know if it's tonight. I don't know if it's tomorrow. But I do know that it's that I have to figure out what happens to her and this new guy that she's met and what's going to happen. And she's, you know, she's losing control. She can't quite keep things a secret. And, you know, when you do put that much anger inside and don't actually express it to the people who are causing you that anger. Um, it, it can it can cause problems. It can cause problems, man. 
I love Agretsuko because it's very much like millennial Hello Kitty. It feels <laughs> it's 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 a very it's a very general concept, but it's so specific that it reminds me like of multiple previous jobs that I've had and like working in those environments. <laughs> yeah, there is that environment. I mean, it does hit on the general idea of you know what? I need to get out of here and I will think of a way that sounds really awesome and if this thing could just happen, then I can get out of here and it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So you get put into this place of all I need to do is escape and if I could escape, I'd be fine. No matter what situation escaping put me, puts me into, I'll be fine because I won't be in this situation anymore. It's a will she or won't she, but about quitting her job, not about <laughs> finding true love necessarily. She thinks that true love can get her out of the job, mm -hmm. which I don't that's know part if that's of the story you're in right now. I don't know if that's a cultural thing, but I need to get married. And if I marry somebody who's rich enough, he won't even want me to work. So <laughs> boop. Ha <Yeah>. ha <laughs> Japan. I'll get married. So. <laughs> Well, anything else we need to say about any of these two things or structures now as we're coming to our final thoughts? I, I think I'm good. I think we should hit our, our, our final structure. Great. We have already talked about our favorite thing, which is interesting because we subverted our fi favorite things by not saying, hey, what's your favorite thing? We just started talking about them. So <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! Um, so... <laughs> Take that, podcast listeners. So, um, should we talk about homework time? Let's. Ba -bum -bum -bum. For your homework time, watch The Incredibles 2. That's it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna watch that as well and probably talk about it. So, catch probably it. Probably talk about it? <laughs> Oh, well, uh, you can rewatch Incre <laughs> The Incredibles if you want to. I probably will. Um, and then the Incredible go see The Incredibles too, and we will have a conversation about it next time. As I always. Oh, I almost. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. I was about Taking to all of our structure, Chris. How dare you? <laughs> you know what? I'm going to switch it up just because of that. As always, thank you to Jake Reed for our theme music and to Nigel Catino, our engineer. If you enjoy what you see here, here? Enjoy the show if you like if you like what's coming in your ears right now. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps everyone find us and listen to us. You can um, talk to us on the web on Twitter at WG Animated on Facebook.com slash WG Animated and find show notes where we'll leave clips and things on our Tumblr, writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. Good night, everybody. Curse you, Perry the Platypus! <laughs>